be in Esther 8 this morning, picking up right where we left off before Easter. Esther 8. We got probably, I would say, to the climax of the story in Esther 7. That's kind of where the main action, what everything was kind of pointing to. But the story is not over. There's still a little bit to be done. And we'll pick up with that in Esther 8 this morning. Lord willing, we'll make it through the whole chapter. It's not, not terribly long. Let's pray, and then we'll dig in. Father God, we come to you, and we thank you for the, the freedom and the privilege to be here today, to be in this house, to worship you. And I pray that you just would let us be blessed from being here. I pray that your words would speak to us, that you would just speak through me, dear Lord, that you'd hide me behind the cross and take away any, any nerves or any pride I have, dear Lord. And I pray that you'll be glorified in everything that's said and done here today. I pray that you help the words that come from my mouth to be words that we need to hear. But God, let the Holy Spirit really speak to our heart. That's where change comes, dear Lord, and that's what we want. We want our heart to be right. And if it's not, we want it to be changed. And so, God, I pray that in these words today that there will be something that, that we each need to hear and that you'd reveal it to us. And I just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We have seen this Jewish girl, Esther, become queen in a foreign land. And we saw this, this plot that was, that was worked up by one of the king's highest officials by the name of Haman. Well, Esther caught, caught word of what was going on. And with her being a Jew, her cousin Mordecai, who had helped raise her, uh, finally encouraged and convinced her to go before the king. And she did and invited the king and Haman to come to her house. And then she revealed Haman's plan. Well, Haman had planned to kill Mordecai because he hated him. But throughout the story, Mordecai was honored by Haman. And then Haman had built this huge gallows to hang Mordecai and kill him from. But the roles got reversed. Instead of uh, Mordecai being <laughs> hanged on those gallows, it was Haman. When the king found out that Haman had come up with this, with this evil plan to kill the Jews, when Esther had revealed it, the king said, you hang Haman on that gallows that he had built for Mordecai. And that's what we've seen, just a brief recap up to this point in the story. And so things are, are better than they were, but things are still not great. There's still a problem that's going to have to be dealt with, and that is the problem of the decree, the law, that, that was passed that the Jews could be killed and would be killed on a certain day. And so we'll talk about that as we, as we continue on in Esther 8, starting with verse 1. That same day, King Ahasuerus awarded Queen Esther the estate of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. Mordecai entered the king's presence because Esther had revealed her relationship to Mordecai. The king removed his signet ring he had recovered from Haman and gave it to Mordecai, and Esther put him in charge of Haman's estate. And so the story continues with this reversal of roles that we've seen. It was Haman who was, who was one of the king's highest officials. It was Haman that the king had given the signet ring to. That is, he had given him the power to, to, to make this decree, to make this law. The king says, if this is what you want to do, I'll, I'll let you do it. Go do what you want to do. And to have that ring of the king was important because you could put the king's seal on something and, and that showed that it had the king's approval. And so to be a high official in the king's court as Haman was and to have the king's ring was a big deal. 
and being a high official in the king's court, uh, Haman probably had a pretty good estate. You, 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 we, we can assume probably that his estate was probably, was probably pretty nice. But here we see this reversal of roles. Mordecai was kind of a nobody. He was looked at as a nobody by Haman. He was going to be killed. But instead of being killed, he was honored. And now not only was he honored uh, before everybody by Haman, but at Haman's death, Mordecai kind of in some way steps into that same role that Haman had. He receives Haman's estate. He receives the signet ring of the king. Now, Esther had revealed all these things to the king. He, he obviously didn't know all of this. I mean, he may have knew Mordecai. Obviously, he did because at the very least, he would have known him when Haman honored him uh, when he heard the story that Mordecai had saved the king's life. Uh, but he didn't know the connection between Esther and Mordecai. Now that Esther had revealed to him that she was a Jew, she also revealed to him, hey, I have this, this cousin, Mordecai, who's helped raise me. And so Mordecai was brought in, and Esther received the estate of the king, but she passed that on to Mordecai. So now Mordecai's in the, this position of power, and he has the king's signet ring, which will play a part in the story as we continue on. Let's read on in verse 3. Then Esther addressed the king again. She fell at his feet, wept, and begged him to revoke the evil of Haman, the Agagite, and his plot he had devised against the Jews. The king extended the gold scepter toward Esther, so she got up and stood before the king. Now, you may remember earlier on in the story, Esther was hesitant to go before the king to, to, to begin to reveal this plot that Haman had, 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 had conjured up because you couldn't just go before the king unless he had called you. And if you went before him and he didn't extend his gold scepter, then that would be the death penalty. Uh, and so we kind of see that, that idea here. She went before the king again, and we see that same language, that the king extended his scepter. That is, he was a, a, approving of what she had to say. And so she came, and she said, Look, king, you've got to stop this evil plan that, that Haman had put into place, this law, this edict, this royal edict that, that Haman had conjured up. You've got to put a stop to that. And the king, again, was willing to listen to Esther. He extended his golden scepter, and she stood before the king and continued on in verse 5. She said, If it pleases the king, and I have found approval before him, if the matter seems right to the king, and I am pleasing in his sight, let a royal edict be written. Let it revoke the documents the scheming Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, wrote to destroy the Jews who are in all the king's provinces. For how could I bear to see the disaster that would come on my people? How could I bear to see the destruction of my relatives? And so now that the king has shown approval and is willing to listen, she continues on with her case. King, you've got to revoke this law, this royal edict that Haman put into place. You've got to overturn it. What was the law? That on a specific day that all the Jews in the land were to be killed. And, and Esther says, look, this is a horrible thing. I can't bear this to know that my people are going to be destroyed. But there is one problem that we've mentioned throughout this story. We see a reference of it early on in, in uh, es uh, Esther chapter 1, when, when the king is getting ready to get rid of the previous queen before Esther, Queen Vashti, they decide to come up with this, with, this, with, this, with this law. And when they're talking about this law and removing the queen and getting a new king, uh, it says in there that a law of the Medes and the Persians cannot be revoked. It cannot be changed. 
So once something is in, in, in law, it is a law if it is put there by the king. We see the same language in Daniel chapter 6. When, when these people come up with this scheme against Daniel, because Daniel's a godly man, and they can't find nothing against him to get him in trouble with the king, but they know that he's going to be faithful to God. And so they convince the king to come up with this, this law that if anybody worships anybody other than the king and the king's statue, that they are, or excuse me, uh, I'm, I'm getting stories mixed up there. If anybody worships anybody other than the king, uh, that they are to be put to death in the lion's den. Well, Daniel continues to praise the Lord. And the king, when he finds out, he doesn't want to put Daniel to death in the lion's den. He, 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 man, he mourns for, for Daniel. He stays up all night. He cannot sleep. But it was a law. It was a law that could not be revoked. And so we see this idea of a law that cannot be revoked in Scripture. And that's the problem we have here in the book of Esther. We see this law that cannot be revoked. And so something is going to have to be done. A plan is going to have to, have to be uh, uh, devised so that the Jews' lives can be spared. Verse 7, King Ahasuerus said to Esther the queen and to Mordecai the Jew, Look, I have given Haman's estate to Esther, and, and he was hanged on the gallows because he attacked the Jews. You may write in the king's name, whatever pleases you concerning the Jews, and seal it with the royal signet ring. A document written in the king's name and sealed with the royal signet ring cannot be revoked. Here we see that same language, okay? So the previous law could not be revoked. It was there. It could not be changed. It could not be done away with. But the king says, look, I've given you Haman's estate. You've got my royal signet ring. So whatever you want to write, whatever you want to do, write it and seal it with the king's signet ring. And whatever you write will not be revoked either. And so they have to come up with a solution to the problem. And now they have one having the king's uh, approval in his royal signet ring. Verse 9. On the 23rd day of the, of the third month, that is the month of Savan, the royal scribes were summoned. Everything was written exactly as Mordecai ordered for the Jews to the satraps, the governors and the officials of the 127 provinces from India to Cush. The edict was written for each province in its own script, for each ethnic group in its own language, and to the Jews in their own script and language. Mordecai wrote in King Ahasuerus' name and sealed the edicts with the royal signet ring. He sent the documents by mounted couriers who rode fast horses bred from the royal racing mares. Okay, so again, we see this theme, this idea of the reversal of roles. <coughs> Haman had the king's power. He had the, the signet ring. He came up with an edict. The edict was to kill the Jews. But now the roles have reversed. Now Mordecai is the one with the power. He is the one with the royal signet ring, and he is the one who has received the king's approval, and the king says, hey, write what you want to, and you have my approval to carry out whatever you write. And so Mordecai got to work. Now, we're starting to see a shift here. We've kind of seen a shift throughout the story as to who the, the main character is and is focused on. Now, we've certainly seen Mordecai in this story, but here toward the end of the book of Esther, Mordecai kind of becomes the main character of the story. And it's believed by many 
that Mordecai may have been the one that, that wrote the book of Esther. So Mordecai begins to write his royal edict, his decree to seal with the king's royal signet ring. And he writes it in every language so everybody in the land could have read it. Now, it would have been probably a lot of different ethnic groups in the land. And so they would have all spoken different languages. And so everything was written in every language so that everybody would know what this decree said and what it meant and what the purpose of it was. And once he got it finished, he sent it out on the fastest horses there were in the kingdom so that word could spread, word could get out to everybody. Hey, here is this decree of, of, of the king. Listen to what it says. So what did this decree say? Well, we're about to find out in verse 11. The king's edict gave the Jews in each and every city the right to assemble and defend themselves to destroy, kill, and annihilate every ethnic and uh, provincial army hostile to them, including women and children, and to take their possessions as spoils of war. This would take place on a single day throughout the provinces of King Ahasuerus. On the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar. Now, that date might sound familiar to you because that's the same date of Haman's decree where everybody was supposed to kill the Jews. All right, well, that can't be revoked. So uh, Mordecai came up with a good idea. All right, well, we'll just make a new decree, not, not do away with the old one, but here's the new decree that Haman wrote. Anybody that comes against the Jews on this day the Jews can kill you. They can completely annihilate you, all you people, you women, your children, everybody. So that would have been a good deterrent. So the first law was still there, that on this particular day of this particular month, that the people were supposed to kill the Jews. But now with this new law that Mordecai has sent out, this new edict, it gives the Jews an opportunity to defend themselves. And if anybody comes against the Jews, they will be killed. So this, this certainly would have had an effect. I mean... If you know you can do something and there's no punishment for it, then you're probably going to do it. But if all of a sudden you say, hey, you can do this, you have the freedom to do this, but also if you do this, then other people have the freedom to do something back to you, and in this case, take your life, well, guess what? You're probably not going to, to be so quick to jump up and do it. And so the old law couldn't be done away with, but there was a new law, a better law, that would have, would have in a sense, kind of, kind of overruled the first law because it would have given the Jews the opportunity to defend themselves. Now, certainly some people may have still uh, tried to attack the Jews on, those day, on that day, but I suspect that this new edict by Mordecai slowed a lot of people down. And it says in verse 13, a copy of the text issued as law throughout every province was distributed to all the peoples so the Jews could be ready to avenge themselves against their enemies on that day. The couriers rode out in haste on their royal horses at the king's command. The law was also issued in the fortress of Susa. And so here we have this first law that could not be changed. And there had to be a second law to come along to, to, to kind of make the first, first law right, to take care of the Jewish people. And in some way, perhaps, maybe we can make a connection between this story and, and one law superseding another or one covenant superseding another to what we see throughout Scripture, to what we see in the Old Testament, to what we see in the New Testament. Now, in the Old Testament, we see that God gave his people the law. And, and, and the law 
was good for what it was. But, but we see throughout Scripture that the law makes us aware of our sin. Now, the law doesn't necessarily make us sinners. We are sinners apart from the law. But the law opens our eyes because apart from the law, we wouldn't know what sin was. And now Paul talks about this a lot in Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8. If you want to read it, that'd be a good read. Uh, Paul talks about this very topic. It is the law that God put into place that shows us our sin and just how bad our sin is. And so the law has a, has a good purpose in that sense. But we can never be saved by the law or what the law commands. Now, we are sinners. And you could say, well, why couldn't God just do away with sin? Well, he couldn't. Sin is here. He can make us aware of our sin. He can show us that our sin needs to be atoned for. He can show us that it can only be atoned for by blood because there is no forgiveness of sins. Without the shedding of blood, the scripture says. But, but he can't just, just do away with sin. So, so there is sin. There is the law that reveals that sin. But that sin still has to be dealt with. And the law served a purpose. It was good. But the first law or the first covenant, the covenants like we see in the Old Testament, were never going to be good enough to save the people. So what did God do? He came up with a new covenant. And who is the new covenant? The new covenant is in Jesus Christ. That's what the book of Hebrews says repeatedly. That's the same type of language that we see in the New Testament. In Galatians, it says the law was our guardian until Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul's talking about in Romans 6, 7, and 8. The law served a good purpose, but we are not saved by the law. The law was good until Jesus Christ. But when Jesus Christ came, we are now saved through Jesus Christ because he has fulfilled the law and all of its requirements. So we don't live under the old covenant. We don't live under the old way because there is no salvation in the old covenant. There is no salvation in the old way. There is only salvation in Jesus Christ. And that's why he told his apostles at the Last Supper when he was talking about the Passover meal, he said, look, this used to represent one thing, but now it represents me. Because everything we see in the Old Testament was pointing forward to Jesus Christ and what he would accomplish. And so the Old Covenant was insufficient. And God couldn't just do away with it, but instead he came up with a new covenant, a better covenant, a perfect covenant that is Jesus Christ. And that's kind of in some ways maybe similar to what we see in this story. The old law, the old edict, the old command that was there, it couldn't be done away with, but a better command came that was going to save the life of the Jewish people and was going to spare them through all the things that they uh, were going through. And so praise the Lord that God gave us a new covenant to live under, that we are not living under the old covenant. Wouldn't it be a horrible thing if we had to come here and, and, and year after year, we had to gather up a bunch of animals and come sacrifice them. I mean, that would be a bloody, nasty mess. And then we'd do it, and then our sins would be atoned for, and then we'd leave, and then we'd sin again tomorrow, and then we'd have to do the same thing year after year after year after year. And God knew that that was not ever going to be enough to, to atone for our sins. He knew that there had to be a better sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice. We see uh, that kind of language in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 7. It says, For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion for a second one. So even God realized that there was fault in the first covenant, that it was never going to be sufficient to cover the needs of the people. And then the writer of Hebrews goes on to talk about Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior. 
And then he says in Hebrews chapter 9, uh, 15, speaking of Jesus, therefore he, Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called might receive the promise of the eternal inheritance because a death has taken place for redemption from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. And so we see this, this, this type of language uh, repeatedly throughout the New Testament. And so a better covenant, a better law, so to speak, has come in Jesus Christ that, that, that is better than what was old, and the old has passed away, and Jesus Christ has come. And so God's people in Esther chapter 8 are spared because of this new law that came uh, under Mordecai that was spread throughout the land. Verse 15, Mordecai went from the king's presence, clothed in royal purple and white, with a great gold crown and a purple robe of fine linen. The city of Susa shouted and rejoiced, and the Jews celebrated with gladness, joy, and honor. In every, pres uh, in every province and every city, wherever the king's command and his law reached, reach, joy and rejoicing took place among the Jews. There was a celebration and a holiday, and many of the ethnic groups of the land professed themselves to be the Jews because fear of the Jews had overcome them. Here again at the end of the chapter, we see the same, the same theme of reversal of roles. It was Haman who was the high official for the king. But now, look at Mordecai. It says here at the beginning of verse 15 that he was clothed in royal purple and white with a uh, great gold crown and a purple robe of fine linen. Why? Because he was part of the king's court now. He had power. He had authority. And that was shown in, in, in the way he was dressed and what he wore. And there was great rejoicing among the people because of the deliverance that had taken place. And everybody rejoiced in that day. And everybody was so afraid of the Jews. They, it, it says that uh, and many of the ethnic groups... Uh, in the land professed themselves to be Jews, okay? So they all were, they all wanted to be Jews because they knew we better not mess with the Jews. God had, had done a mighty deliverance and, and, and now with this law that Mordecai had passed, you didn't want to do anything against the Jews and I suspect most of the people in the land probably respected the Jews and the Jews rejoiced and rightly so because God had delivered them. But this idea of reversal of roles, somebody that's viewed as, as lesser than among the people, but yet in the end of this story here is lifted up into being someone who is honored. Well, that's, that's not really so different than the story of the Christian, than the story of the, follower of Jesus, the followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus, who was the Son of God, who should have been, who should have been worshipped and, and praised and, 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 and served more than anybody, was viewed as nobody, was viewed, as, viewed as nothing and nailed to a cross. And so it is for Jesus' followers. From the time that Jesus died and was resurrected, when his followers went out into the world, they faced great opposition. They faced much persecution. They even faced death. And things have not really changed much in the last couple of thousand years. You know, there, there may have been a time in our country and in our world where Christianity was viewed as a good thing. And, 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 and in a lot of ways, for a lot of folks, it still is. But, man, it seems like nowadays, uh, maybe more than ever, Christianity is frowned upon. And that's not to say by the power of God that he can't change things and, 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 and revive this world and, and work 
uh, through his people. He certainly can. Uh, we see phases in history maybe where Christianity has an uprising and maybe where things are, 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 are going bad. But, but it seems now that, man, a lot of people look at Christians as, as nobody, as dummies, as, as, as crazy for believing the word of God. And sometimes Christians may be looked at as less than. But even Jesus himself says that those who are last shall be first. And perhaps the story of Mordecai and Haman is a good example of that in the Old Testament. Haman was nobody. Or excuse me, Mordecai was nobody. Haman was, was in a high position of power. But now those roles have been reversed. And the one who was last has now become first. And so it is for those of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ. No matter what the world thinks of us, no matter how crazy people may think we are, how stupid they may think we are for trusting God's word and trusting Jesus Christ, it matters not because in the end, when all is said and done, those who put their faith in Jesus Christ will be just like the Jews in this story. We will rejoice. Why? Because those who put their faith in Jesus Christ will be delivered. Our enemies will not get the final say. Our enemies will not be victorious. Because Jesus Christ is victorious, and he's already defeated our enemies. And in, in the same way that we see this language of, of, how, of how Mordecai is clothed in these royal clothes because of his new position, well, it's not so different for that of the Christian. We see the same language in the book of Revelation. As Jesus is talking to the seven churches, we see kind of, kind of similar language. Uh, in Revelation 2.10, it says that, that those who are in Christ will receive a crown of life. In Revelation 3.5, it says that they will be given uh, white robes, white clothes to wear. And in Revelation 2.26, it says that they will be given authority over the nations. And so we see kind of this similar language to what we see here with Mordecai. What, did, what happened with Mordecai? He went, from, he went from last, he went to first. Because of his position, because of his new title, he was given clothes that were representative of that. Now, maybe this language in Revelation is symbolic. Maybe it's literal. It doesn't really matter. But the point is, is that there is, there is a difference between those people who are in Christ. There is a victory that takes place. There is a power that, that is in us who are in Christ. Uh, we receive that, 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 that royal garment, the crowns, the the, the white robes uh, it's not so different from what we see in the story of Haman and this is a good story for us to consider this is a good story for us to remember because sometimes man it may seem like our enemies are getting the best of us it may seem like that man where is God at in this story where is God at in my life where is God at in the things that I'm going through but Esther is the perfect story to show that time and time again God is faithful to be there for his people. He was faithful to raise up Esther. He was faithful to be with Mordecai. And now through all that is said and done, it is the, it is the people of God who are victorious. It is, it is Mordecai who is in this position of power. It is, it is Mordecai who is, who is victorious over his enemy. And so it will be for us. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we receive the strength and the power of Jesus Christ through Jesus Christ, nothing of our own. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we may live as last in this world, but we will be first in, in the life to come. And we need to, we need to look at our life and we need to say, man, who, who am I following? Am I, am I first in my life right now? Is God first in my life or am I, am I last? Am I, am I looking to God? We don't want to have the attitude of that of Haman. We want to have the attitude of, of, of that of Esther and that of Mordecai, one that seeks the Lord 
one that trusts in the Lord, and one that experiences the victory of the Lord. And the only way that we experience victory is through Jesus Christ. May we all be found faithful to be those who receive the crown of life, who receive the white robe, and who receive the authority. And that only comes through Jesus Christ. He is perfect. He is, the, he is the new covenant, and that is what we seek today. We don't live by the law. We don't live by the, by the blood of animals. We live by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, and our salvation comes through no other. And I hope today you have salvation in Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you, and we thank you for these good words, and I pray that you would help them to, to, to work in our life, God. Maybe we look at our life and see, do we think of ourselves as first or last? And God, maybe if we think of ourselves as too highly, we'll humble ourselves because, God, you raise up the humble. It's not our, our job to lift ourselves up, but, God, we just humble ourselves before you, and should you choose to lift us up, so be it, God. But we know one day, even if not in this world, that one day we will be lifted up higher than all the, all the evils and all the things that we suffer through in this world, and we will be victorious if we've put our faith in Jesus Christ. And so, God, I pray that you help us to realize that you have given us a better covenant that the old covenant was never sufficient. And you didn't, you didn't do away with it, but God, you just, you just perfected it in Jesus Christ. You fulfilled it in Jesus Christ. And so, God, I pray that we would all recognize, know, and live in that truth today. God, if there are some in this room that has never put their faith in Jesus Christ, that, is, that, is, that have not repented of their sin, that today that they would repent, that they would put their faith in Jesus, that they would trust the sacrifice that he gave on their behalf, dear Lord. God, I pray that if there are some in here that are, that are already yours, that you just encourage us and, 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 and strengthen us with the, with the truth of your word, that we are overcomers, that we are victorious, God, that when all this is said and done in this life, God, uh, we will be victorious in the life to come. And so, God, I pray that that be an encouragement to us as we go through the hard times that we experience in this world. And, God, I pray that if you if you got anybody in this room, dear Lord, that's not yours, that hadn't put their faith in you, that the day that they'd make that decision, that right now, that they'd repent, put their faith in Jesus Christ, and that they would just come forward as we sang, dear Lord, and let it be known that they have accepted Jesus today so we can baptize them just as your word commands. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.